we have our regular meeting and closed session. Good afternoon, directors, staff, and members of the public. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person at City Hall, room 400, broadcast live on SFGov TV and by phone. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods today. Uh, we do anticipate a larger volume. Um, so I do wanna remind those present and listening to please only join the queue um, when we're on that item, when the item is called. That said, public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by call-in. For each action or discussion item, the board will take comment first by those attending the meeting in person and then by those calling in. Phone number to use is 415-655-0001, access code 2499-972-4944. When prompted, dial star three to enter the queue. Um, speakers will have two minutes to provide comment unless otherwise noted by the chair. Please speak clearly, ensure you're in a quiet location and turn off any TVs or computers around you. Please note that city policies along with federal, state and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. We thank you for joining us. Places you on item number two, roll call. Director Kahina. Present. Kahina present. Director Heminger. Here. Heminger present. Director Hinzi. Present. Hinzi present. Chair Borden. Present. Borden present. Directors Eakin, Lai, and Yakutiel are not expected today. Um, that said, you do have a quorum. And for the record, I note that Director Hinzi is attending this meeting remotely under the authority of the mayor's emergency orders. Director Hinzi is reminded that she must appear on camera throughout the meeting and in order to speak or vote on any items. And because we have directors attending remotely, all votes at this meeting will be taken by roll call. Places you on item number three, announcement of prohibition of sound producing devices. The ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. The chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any person responsible for the ringing or use of cell phones or other similar sound producing electronic devices. Places you on item number four. Approval of minutes for the June 7 special meeting, June 21 regular meeting, and June 28 special meeting. Directors, are there any additions? Seeing none, we'll move to public comment. This is a time for members of the public to comment on our minutes from our last three meetings. Seeing no one in the room standing up to comment, is there a commenter on the phone line? No callers on the phone line. Okay, so with that, uh, board, this is before us. I'll move the item. Second, are we taking all in one motion or? Yep, one motion. Okay, second. Secretary Silva, can you please call the roll? On the motion to approve the minutes, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. The minutes are approved. Places you on item number five, communications. I have none. Next item, please. Item number six, introduction of new or unfinished business by board members. Board members, do we have any items of under new and unfinished business? Seeing none, we'll move on to our next item. Item number seven, the director's report. Now note that we have an acting, acting director of transportation as uh, Director Tomlin is not here. He's learning about transportation in London, I think. <laughs> Mr. Ruiz. Thank you, Chair Board and Board members. Jonathan Ruiz, Acting Chief Financial Officer. Um, so first, I'd like to start off on uh, July 9th. Um, we uh, updated, we did further changes to the transit system in support of the recovery of the city. The previous six service changes focused on connecting our equity strategy neighborhoods with essential destinations throughout San Francisco. 
As all our equity lines are now up and running, the July 9th changes focus on restoring pre-pandemic connections that were not already made, such as the two Sutter, six Haight Parnassus, and 21 Hayes through Hayes Valley. We also restored other important pre-pandemic connections, such as the 23 to the zoo, and the 57 to West Portal, and the 43 to Fort Mason. We will continue implementing the approved 2022 Muni Service Network as we hire and train more operators. But in the near term, we had to focus our resources on what is best for the entire system, not one single line. As we still have severe resource issues, we did make several changes to reduce service to make the changes noted above. Most notably, truncating the L bus at West Portal. All stops, um, all stops that the L bus served um, have other transit options available, but the change does require transfer from bus to rail for those traveling between downtown and the service portion of the line. It has been a little more than a week since we put the additional service back on the streets. It is still a bit early to get accurate ridership data, but we will be monitoring these changes and can make tweaks in the future when resources are available. Customers seem exceptionally cited, excited about the extension of the 43, the reinstatement of the two on Sutter, and the 21 Hayes. We have received several concerns about the 58 no longer serving Westlake, um, and we'll be looking at ways to serve Westlake um, further in the future. And we've also received concerns about the 49 stopping at its pre-pandemic terminal at Van Ness and North Point. Um, so we'll continue to work on those issues over time. Um, all shelters will have the new system maps installed um, by the end of the week. We're working on that right now. Um, stop signage is in the process of being updated to reflect the new connections and will be completed shortly. And no specific date has been set for the next service change, but we do anticipate making small changes in the fall. Um, now on to Fix-It Week and in our infrastructure program. Um, Muni's quarterly uh, Metro subway maintenance closure requires both regular day-to-day -day maintenance of critical infrastructure and strategic capital replacement and upgrades. Costs and complexity increase over time when capital assets are not maintained or replaced. Um, we have committed to, quarterly, uh, to a quarterly extended maintenance program in the subway to address projects that require long, a longer maintenance window. Fix-It Week um, this upcoming month is planned for August 18th through 27th overnight from 9.30 p.m. to 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. on weekends. Planned maintenance closure activities include um, replacement of a track switch mach machine and the prep work associated with that, um, enhancements to our stations, including removal of dis uh, discontinued fixtures and removal of graffiti um, in an attempt to improve the experience for our riders, um, trackway relamping, um, substitution um, substation battery replacement, um, substation emergency shutdown testing, Subway tunnel inspection and condition assessment of the Twin Peaks Tunnel, important work that needs to continue to happen. Um, ATCS software upgrade, so that's the train control system. Um, debris and object removal from the wayside. Traction power feeder cable and utility vault inspections and over overhead line renewal. Um, so this is important work that we've been trying to maintain um, throughout the pandemic and this is a continued program that will allow us to make continuous improvements to the subway. Um, just regular project updates that I'd like to give you. Um, the Evans Avenue Quick Build project is starting construction early this summer. Construction is timed to follow a Department of Public Works paving project and further coordination will be required around the railroad crossing area along the project corridor. After installation is completed, the street will feature upgrades for people walking and biking, including, including a westbound protected bikeway, pedestrian head start signal timing, and uh, further improvements. In addition, the Valencia Bikeway Improvement Project has started outreach on the protected bikeway designs between 15th and 24th Street. 
with plans to implement and eventually study as an 18-month pilot. Work will incorporate design elements such as intersection visibility improvements and bikeway upgrades. The team will also develop a, comp a complementary curb management plan to support the permanent shared spaces program, while also providing loading, customer, and resident access along Valencia Street. Virtual open house um, is planned for September to showcase the proposed pilot design and planned curb management plan. Um, on the Great Highway, um, just a reminder, uh, this board and the Rec and Park Commission met jointly last month and asked staff to develop a plan for the upper Great Highway between Lincoln and Slope to explore how it might work as a promenade. This summer, Supervisor Marr plans to introduce legislation to codify the current promenade configuration and roadway arrangement during the creation and implementation of a two-year pilot study, separating it from the emergency ordinance. Environmental applications required by the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, have been submitted and staff are working with institutional and federal stakeholders, uh, stakeholders including the National Park Service and San Francisco Zoo. Once the board votes on the pilot study, staff will apply for a coastal development permit. During the two-year pilot study, which expires in December 31st, uh, 2025, staff will collect usage data, analyze alternative traffic patterns, and receive feedback to provide a long-term recommendation for the Board of Supervisors to consider. I would also like to mention that although the Great Highway has recently been closed during the week by Public Works for Sand Remediation, it is now open again in both directions from Lincoln Way to Skyline Boulevard. I'm mentioning this because some members of the public believed it was the SFMTA that had closed the Great Highway during the week. For updates on the sand remediation work, people should check in with the San Francisco Department of Public Works and their Twitter feed. Um, quickly, an update on Central Subway and the recent fire that we heard about. Um, on June 20th, uh, we had a failed electrical component, a surge arrester, in the Yerba Buena Moscone station um, as part of the DC switchgear lineup that caused a fire inside the circuit breaker cubicle. Safety protocols were followed and there were no injuries. The fire damaged the cubicle and adjacent cubicles and they will need to be replaced. Three new cubicles are on order. An insurance representative completed a preliminary damage assessment. All costs associated with the fire damage, including the cost of repair, the cost of project delay, will be tracked and submitted as part of the insurance claim. In the interim, future cubicles will be utilized to replace the damaged ones and reconnected to bring the substation back online um, tentatively by August 31st. The impact on the project completion is likely to be six to eight weeks. We are still planning for revenue service this fall. Um, and that's, that's my update on that item. Um, just moving on quickly um, to the agency's financial rating. Um, the agency did get a ratings review by Moody's Investor Service. Um, our credit rating uh, was downgraded from AA3 to AA2 on our revenue bonds, those revenue bonds supported by our operating budget. Um, Moody's did cite the reason for this downgrade was largely due to social impacts, resulting in declines in our revenue, such as transit fares. While we did get a ratings decline, the SFMTA does remain the highest rated transit agency in the United States for revenue bonds that are issued through general operating revenues. In addition, Moody's also assigned a rating outlook of stable from negative, so we were rated negative prior, noting that the approval of our balanced budget as well as proactive and conservative fiscal management, um, at, just noting um, both our proactive and conservative fiscal management in the agency. Um, on the legislative side of the House, um, the state legislature returns from recess next month to complete um, 
its current two-year session. Um, our focus will be on a few key bills that remain active. The state budget agreement significantly increases transportation funding, including funds for the active transportation program and the transit and inner city rail capital program, TIRCP. The state budget also includes $2.7 million for a safety improvement at Sloten Skyline, thanks to budget chair Ting, to Mayor Breed, and supervisors Melgar and Marr for supporting this request. On a separate but related funding note, as has been reported in the media, the agency has been awarded a $116 million TIRCP grant for our Muni Core Capacity Program. Um, this is a huge lift um, for our capital program and it's a great success. Um, that grant specifically will fund um, the Muni Core Capacity Program, including Muni Forward investments on the K line, N line, and 38R uh, Gary route. Um, initial phases of our train control upgrade project and the Muni Metro modernization planning study. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Mr. Rewers. Directors, are there any questions for the director's report? Director Hemminger, I see you're about to hit the thing. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Jonathan, uh, first of all, really good news about the train control system. Um, and as you well know, once you've got your foot in the door, uh, you can very often like barge all the way through the house um, and keep securing additional grant revenue from the same source. So that, that's really a great kickoff uh, for what will be a really important long-term project. Um, just a quick question about the rating agency action uh, by Moody's. Uh, so do you expect us to be stable now for a while that they've done the downgrade and that's their outlook? Yeah, so we had, we were one of the last transit agencies in the United States to be downgraded. Like we actually, throughout the pandemic, maintained the rating that we had. Um, I think, again, it was social elements related to people's choice um, around transportation that largely impacts our transit revenues where they continue to see weakness. But us approving a balanced budget and having stability till fiscal year 25 remove that negative, the future negative outlook for us to stable. So they're, they're confident about our budget and our management over the next uh, two years. Um, you know, they too look for other revenue sources in order to give us an upgrade in the future or continued strength and improvement in our regular enterprise revenues. But, you know, I, I think their report reflects largely the agency did everything it could throughout the pandemic. Um, we are in a stable position. And even though we got downgraded, we still remain, you know, one of the highest rated agencies right. in the U.S. Uh, the other question you, you've sort of hinted at in your answer, uh, and that is uh, we're all trying to crystal ball gaze here about what the future is for transit ridership. Um, have the rating agencies published anything like an industry report that would sort of give their view of how likely it is we're seeing permanent revenue and ridership loss versus temporary? Um, they, funny enough, they actually looked to us for our projections and, and our thinking. And, you know, during the budget process, um, you know, my team does some very complicated analysis looking at data not only here in San Francisco, um, but around the globe and in the U.S. So as an example, the United States right now is about 53% ridership um, restoration. I would say what we would call the legacy systems in the US, which, you know, Muni would be a part of that, New York MTA, Chicago CTA. Those agencies um, that tend to be downtown drivers where their systems were built just to get people to an employment center, 
they're sticking at or below the national average, like BART is an outlier at about 27% restoration. Those systems that have expanded, I would say in the last 20 years, where it wasn't necessarily a downtown core, but it was like, get me to the ball field, get me to university, like Sound Transit, the work LA Metro has done, those are the agencies in the nation that are tending to be higher than the average. So as an example, I think LA Metro's at 65% ridership recovery, San Diego's above the mean, I think at about 58%, so sound transit. So um, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, transit used to be related to the commute trip, and what is that gonna look like in the future? And I think some of the service changes we've been making have been reflective of that, that it's not necessarily the downtown core, but there are other destinations in the city people wanna get to. Thank you, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Director Hinsey. Director Hinsey, you're muted. My apologies. I just wondered, Jonathan, if you had a, a, a Vision Zero update for us at all, or? Um, outside of the two project updates I gave, are there not not on top of anything that was in the director's report today, nothing specific. Okay, thank you. And then I'm assuming the update you gave on the Great Highway will proceed as you stated up until we know outcomes of potential certain ballot measures, potentially in uh, November. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, we've gotten clear direction from you um, and the Rec Park Commission on the next steps and the, the staff have got it all teed up and ready to go and are taking the appropriate regulatory and other actions to, to stick with the schedule and get, you know, a, a meaningful recommendation to the Board of Supervisors, which of course you and the Rec Park Commission will review in advance. Right, okay. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Directors, any other questions for Mr. Rewers? Seeing none, we'll open up to public comments. This is time for members of the public who'd like to comment on any of the, what was just uh, listed in the director's report given by Mr. Rewers. I do have two speaker cards, Herbert Weiner and Paula Katz. Wonderful. Did you men mean to send your cards in for the director's report, uh, Mr. Weiner? Mr. Weiner? Like the, it's way off. I think the, the 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 closed caption is not even close. Let me ping um, <laughs> DT for the closed captioning. I was like, wait a minute, if he's reading that to figure out when he should speak. Yeah. <laughs> Hold one a second. We're gonna pause and just um, see what's going on with the closed caption. Okay, all right, it seems to be catching. Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Herbert Weiner, uh, concerns I have, when are you gonna bring back the three and the 47? Now, I realize you're restoring other runs, but when are you gonna bring back those, those lines? Now, I wanna have service restored to the pre-pandemic level. 
And I don't know if this is in the cards or not. And so I think this is very important. Uh, so the, this is uh, one of my concerns. Also, all planning, when it's done, should have community participation at the first stage, not be uh, given a fait accompli where you've come up with a plan, the community is stuck with alternatives, and then MTA management, muni managers, decides to go ahead with the original proposal anyway. This is the liberal democracy of MTA. So these are my concerns. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, have more public participation at these meetings in person. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, service is not at the level it should be. The buses are packed. There's dangers of COVID because of this. And your performance is not up to standard. You're not doing well. Thank you, Mr. Weiner. Next speaker, please. We have two minutes. Yes. My name is Paula Katz. And I'm surprised that Mr. Tumlin's representative did not tell you about the opposition that SFMTA has received to shortening the L bus route at West Portal, including from Supervisor Gordon Moore, Albert Chow, the president of the Taravel Merchants Association, Pops, and myself, as well as others. I hope you've read the emails that I've sent you that SFMTA violated the city charter when it significantly changed the L bus route on July 9th without your approval, and you should rescind that change. Under city charter section 4.104A2, except for actions taken at closed sessions, any action taken at other than a public meeting shall be void. In fact, muni routes are so important that Charter Section 16.112B specifically requires that notice must be given in a public hearing held before any significant change in the route of a bus line is adopted. There is no dispute that shortening the L bus at West Portal is a significant change. It eliminates a section between West Portal and the Embarcadero. Under the Charter, it is your legal responsibility to approve this change in the L bus route. SFMTA asserts that you didn't have to approve the change because the L bus is a temporary line that was put into place due to construction. This assertion is in direct conflict with the explicit language of the Charter. As the Charter makes no exceptions for the temporary construction-related bus lines, I request that you ask Mr. Tumlin's representative for the legal authority that allowed SFMTA to significantly change the L bus route without getting your approval at a public hearing. And if he does not have the answer or the city attorney does not have the answer, I, requ I request that you ask SFMTA to present it to you before your next meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any additional speakers within this room who would like to address us about the director's report? 
Seeing none, we'll move to online callers. Moderator, are there some callers who'd like to speak to the director's report as given by Mr. Rewers? We have one in the queue. Please go forward. Hello, my name is George. I've been driving a cab in San Francisco for 20 years. I'm a medallion purchaser, and we cannot wait to have the Uber partnership in place but it seems like certain group wants to sabotage it. Excuse me, sir. And they want to shove. We're not on that item I'm, yet. I'm sorry. We're not on that item yet. Oh, sorry about no that. No worries. Sorry. sorry about that. But we'll sorry be there that. shortly. I, I think you're going to be calling in. Let me tell you what item number it is. Likely the next item, item next, number Yeah, eight. the very next item. So, uh, Next speaker, please. I see a second caller. Next speaker. Hi, I'd like to comment on the shortening of the LBAS. Um, I don't have a prepared yes. statement, but it is unfortunately a very impactful cut to not have the LBAS running between West Portal and downtown. Um, it's a difficult transfer for some people, seniors and disabilities at West Portal who have to go all the way to the train station and then wait for a train to show up. The LBAS also served vital connectivity across um, the upper market and Portola area. Um, it was before a great way for people to make some transfers as well as to actually get into the core of the city if they lived in that area. Unfortunately, also with that cut, it means that surface service between Castro and Hate Street on market has become very poor. I've had to explain to numerous seniors in the last week or two as to why they're having to wait longer to get a ride. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. There are no more callers in the queue. With that, we will close public comment. And just to remind people, we don't respond to public comment um, because it's if the item's not been agendized, we can't have a formal discussion because other members of the public might want to discuss the same item. And I know that El Terrible specifically wasn't mentioned in the director's report, much to the chagrin to people in this room. So with that, we will close this item unless directors have additional questions or comments at this time. Seeing that, we'll move on to our next item. Item number eight, the Citizens Advisory Council report. And I saw Mr. Chen is here. Welcome. Hello. Uh, good afternoon, directors. Uh, Michael Chen, uh, Citizens Advisory Committee uh, Chair. Uh, we have one uh, motion uh, for your perusal. Uh, it is in your packet. And it, to be a little, it's about the taxi upfront fare pilot. Uh, and as, as some background, in September, this board approved an upfront fare pilot in April, uh, it was amended to include third-party dispatch, uh, namely, which may include TNCs, um, like Uber and Lyft. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and that pilot is set to, I think, begin next month in August. Uh, we heard this item at the CAC this month, and the CAC passed a resolution urging the board to rescind or turn back the portion of the pilot that would allow TNCs to participate. Uh, the, it is the feeling of the CAC that, um, that including TNCs would be detrimental to the overall transit health of the city. Uh, and I'm standby, standby for questions. Thank you. Directors, do we have any questions for Mr. Chen? Seeing none, I know that we have members of the public who would like to speak to this item, so we'll move on to public comment. I have a few speaker cards. Paula Katz, Hansu Kim. Izzy Aala.
Good afternoon, directors. Hansu Kim with Flywheel Technologies. Unfortunately, we weren't able to attend the last Citizens Advisory Council meeting. We'll for sure be able to attend the next one and address their concerns directly. But I did want to respond to that letter that came uh, before you today. Um, I want to make very clear that the partnership Flywheel Technologies has done with uh, Uber is to basically allow their passengers to be serviced by taxis. So these are in fact going to be taxi rides, not TNC rides done by taxis. These are in fact going to be their passengers handed over to us to be serviced by taxis following taxi rules and regulations. I want to make that very clear. Uh, second, uh, we have set this partnership in a way where the taxi driver, if they do not want to accept this business, for whatever reason, there's no consequence if they don't want to do so. Um, furthermore, if the drivers do not want to even accept these orders, in other words, not even be offered these orders, they can actually toggle it off on our technology in the vehicle, and they don't even have to be offered these orders. Uh, we estimate that there's going to be an increase in taxi driver income of more than 50% through this partnership. So I want to make that clear. There's such volume of business that have gone to the ride shares, the ability for us to access their passengers and those rides to taxis to be serviced, we believe will exceed more than 50% of the current income for taxi cab drivers. I also want to make clear that this also allows the efficient use of every regulated taxi in San Francisco. This means less ride shares on the road, less part-time drivers, as we know, that come into the city that congest the streets. If we are now utilizing taxi infrastructure to service these rides. That means that we're going to have uh, less congestion and less vehicles on the road. And then finally, I think I want to make clear that if we are going to have the taxi industry resurgent, we have to have this type of technology, these type of partnerships in our best interests as regulated taxi services for us to succeed. I believe that this will be so successful that medallions, people becoming A-card holders, taxi cab drivers will only increase from here. Thank you. Thank you. So either Izzy Alla or uh, Paula Katz. Hi. Good afternoon, directors. My name is Izzy Ala from Flywheel. The last time I was here, I wanted to um, I gave you an update of where we are from a payment standpoint. I think it's really crucial to hear the updates that we've had since we last talked. Um, just to remind you, Flywheel in San Francisco generated five million rides. Five million rides since Flywheel incepted here in, in San Francisco, paid over $100 million to drivers. Now, a fraction of that had to do with chargebacks that, that we held back because the the rider said they didn't take the ride or there was some fraud. We decided that we were just going to go ahead and pay it out. So I want, I'm happy to actually report today that we've paid up all the drivers. They're all paid up. And not only that, we've given them a new platform that gives them instant payments. So if you hear things about not knowing if these third-party sources or regular flyaway rides are going to get paid, they're getting paid today instantly. It's almost like cash. So when the rider's done taking the flyaway ride, the money's in their account. And we have over 300 plus drivers that can attest to that. But more importantly, the health of this industry is not good. I mean, the ride volume is really low across the whole entire country. We think this partnership is gonna bring that demand back to the taxi business where riders have never, there are a, majority, a lot of riders that have never taken a taxi. I think when they take an Uber and a taxi comes up and they get to experience that, 
they'll think again, it's like, why don't I just take a taxi? Why, I see them right in the street. Why don't I street hail them? We think that's going to really start to affect the way the taxi industry uh, recovers, not only from the pandemic, but from what Rideshare did to our industry. So anyway, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, and after we get the speakers, I might have a couple questions just for the flywheel folks. Paula Katz again, thank you. Um, I support the CAC resolution and the reasoning in that resolution and urge you to remove third-party dispatch from the pilot program. The, I think the original pro pilot program is a great idea to allow passengers to choose a flat fee based on an estimate of what the meter would have been, meter rates that you set. But I under, the way I understand the third-party dispatch Uber or the third-party dispatch would set the rates, and it doesn't have to be anything com comparable to the meter rates that you set. And drivers, if, if a large portion of cab rides are going to the third-party dispatch, drivers will be forced to sign up in order to, and to accept the lower rates just so that they can get some of the business that is being taken away from them with the third-party dispatch. So it's not really voluntary. It's an economic, they'll be forced economically to do it even if they don't want to accept the lower rates. If you allow third-party dispatch, you are giving up your authority and responsibility to regulate taxi meter fares for all cab rides over to a third-party dispatch system such as Uber that would be responsible to absolutely no one. That's not good for taxi riders or drivers. Um, if you cannot vote today, well, I urge you at this meeting to postpone the implementation of the pilot program until the issue can be presented to you again at a future board meeting for your reconsideration. And I urge you at that meeting to vote to remove third-party dispatch from the pilot program. But in a minimum, especially since you have the recommendation of the CAC to do this, I urge you to give great weight to that recommendation and at least, as I said, postpone the implementation of the pilot program and put the issue on a meeting, on the agenda for one of your meetings. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes your comments. Next, anyone else who want to speak that's in the audience? Seeing none, we'll move to public comment online. We have six uh, hands raised. First speaker, please. Um, thank you, uh, Chair um, Gwyneth Morton. Uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, my pronouns are she and her. Haven't done this in a while. Hope you can hear me okay. I'm going to talk about this item, A. You know, the, that letter is very concerning. It, it's scary. And I ask that you read it carefully and critically. Uh, I am generally in line with the comments of uh, Mr. Hansu and, and Mr. Izzy, uh, if I got it right, because I want more options, not less. Um, I want a, a system that is more efficient, and I want to be able to make informed choices about uh, what I pay. And I did also look at the CAC presentation. And I ask that you read that carefully and critically. Uh, because I've seen uh, people using tablets to request um, uh, ride shares. 
not just smartphones. Uh, they sell rideshare gift cards in stores. Uh, you don't have to have a credit card. You can use a debit card. I got a debit card myself. Works just fine. Uh, I think this pilot is very important, and I've spoken in support of it. You know, I'm just an ordinary person who uses transportation. I don't have any power. I'm just a disabled veteran on a fixed income who wears a skirt. I ask that you not forget about people like yourself who just want more choices in life to do what we have to do. 30 Life's seconds. Not easy. Life is not easy. Uh, I can't speak to my challenges. But what I can say is that better mobility makes my life easier and helps me to achieve my goals. I think we need to do this pilot soon. I think it's well thought out. Don't forget people like myself who have needs. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is George. I'm a medallion purchaser. I've been driving in San Francisco for 20 years and I cannot emphasize how crucial the pilot program is. And for those who object, please don't use it. Nobody is forcing you to use it. And please don't shove your agenda down everybody's throat. This reminds me of the cab commission when they need to issue medallions, the same characters used to go down there and, and yell, pardon me, and scream and use profanities. They don't want more medallions. That's why we're here today talking about this, because they're the same people against our agenda. So I hear the word taxi alliance. I hear medallion holder association, taxi worker association. All of these are self-appointed. I never voted for any of those to represent me. So please, I urge the board to go ahead with the pilot program. It is very crucial for our recovery. And again, it's very simple. It's a dispatch. We are still the taxi cab, and we have more options now, and we have more passengers, and this is very crucial. And most of these guys who object, they did not purchase their medallion. Most of them are drivers. So please, again, I urge for to go forward with the pilot program. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, I'm Anastasia Yopanopoulos, a senior tenant living in District 8, and I'm in support of the CAC's resolution. I use the essential trip card. It's so hard to get around on the, on the muni bus with the pandemic and certain buses not running that I often use my essential trip card, and I don't want to give my information to a third-party dispatch. First of all, I only have a landline, so I can't even click on to whatever app you want to do, and I don't want to stand in the middle of the street waiting for a taxi. I like the fact that I have yellow cab. I can use that. They know my name. That the, I, when the cab is ready, I, they call me, and then I can come out and use the cab, and the fares are guaranteed. I don't know if I'll be able to use an essential trip card using this third-party dispatch. Please, you have to take people into account. You approve things without letting people know about them, and then you have to come back and hear about it from the 
the Citizens Advisory Committee. I'm sorry, this won't do, and the Uber people are bad actors on top of it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello. Good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto. Um, I um, was pleasantly surprised to follow along with the CAC's discussion and presentation. Uh, they seem to have seen through the, uh, the lack of transparency in this program. Um, you know, we lost almost six hours of business on Sunday evening, and we couldn't even use our tablets to, for the meter because uh, the system was down. So how do you expect um, for them to, to, to use this third party and make it work well for us, uh, the, the taxi drivers? I'm very much concerned that um, the, the regular taxi passenger will be left in the cold. Um, they say there's not enough business. Yellow cab at times cannot even fill 20 plus orders on their, on, on, on their, um, on their order list. So the thing is, though, there's, the, during the really peak times, there's plenty of business, and during the off-peak times, there are, there, there are probably plenty of, of TNCs to go around. You should see them all over the streets late at night. Uh, uh, and, and, the other, and then we had a great presentation by Forrest Barnes from the MTA, uh, but he couldn't answer a number of questions, such as there's no transparency to how much fees they're going to take out of, of our fares. 30 seconds. So, so, I, uh, so there's too much unknowns left in, the, in, in this pilot program be, uh, that, that, we, that, that uh, needs to be answered before they start it. it is, and also, in order for us to join, we have to do another background check. I do not think Uber is entitled to my personal information. We already got a background check when we signed up to be a cab driver years ago. Thank you, Thank Mr. Toronto. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Jessica Felix. I'm a ramp taxi driver and a PCC executive board member. I wanted to thank the CAC for their smart analysis of this issue, and I wanted to just speak to some misconceptions being represented here. Uh, Hansu Kim said that this is being done to put TNC passengers into taxi rides which is a misnomer, what it's actually doing is giving TNCs and color schemes access to the driver's fare by charging unfettered and unregulated fees. The SFMTA has said that they're not gonna regulate the fees that Uber can charge, they just need to know what they are. Uh, previously, as you know, the meter fare is only what the driver gets. That's all the money that we bring in for all our expenses. Right now, the dispatches are overwhelmed. Primarily, people using paratransit are having trouble getting rides. Um, please try to order cabs at various times of the day from either YoTaxi or Flywheel. They're both overwhelmed. So I don't understand how working with Uber is gonna help anything. Additionally, at the beginning of this board meeting, um, they spoke to uh, you being downgraded by Moody. And the thing is, the reason listed was people's choice of transportation. We know what that means in San Francisco. That means more people moving to TNCs. So this agency giving TNCs access to taxis to do things like use red lanes to move Uber passengers, gives them more business, takes away more from your own agency and from these drivers. I really wish that you would consider um, 
this uh, pass of letting Uber work with them, as well as if you do go forward with it, I think the taxi uh, dispatches need to prove that they are picking up the rides already being requested, because honestly, they cannot do that. There are usually rides that need to be picked up. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. There are any additional speakers? There is. Speaker, you've been unmuted. Moderator, maybe. I'm sorry, I was trying to uh, sign into the um, public comment section. You're here. Section. You are here. Uh, but it's not about this um, yeah, issue. So, so, yeah, wait till we get to that item and then press, uh, is it, what is it? Star, uh, star three. Star three. So, yes. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Evelyn Engel. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Um, I'm calling from the, uh, with the Taxi Workers Alliance, and our views range, uh, taxi drivers' views range from complete opposition to lukewarm willingness to accept Uber rides when business is slow, just some people who are excited about it. But we're calling in, but we're opposed to the Uber part of the deal because so many of our questions have gone unanswered and do not appear to be under SFMTA's regulatory authority. Um, it's our work that's being affected in our time. Uh, the SFMTA has made a point that the amount drivers will be paid must be based on what the passenger pays, but that's a meaningless assurance without knowing what Uber's commission will be which SFMTA has told us they are not going to regulate. So it could be low during the pilot and go up immediately if this is made permanent. It could be 15%, it could be 25%, it could be 40%. We also don't know um, what the fees Uber will charge, how many they will be. We don't know if taxi drivers will be subject to Uber's infamous deactivation, which by the way, there's no means to appeal. So I just want you to consider, would you accept a job under these terms? Would you drive for Uber without knowing how much you'll be paid, without knowing whether you can be dismissed at any time? It's just untenable. In general, taxi drivers want meter rates. We don't want below meter rates. We don't really want surge pricing either. 30 seconds. So, uh, thank you. So I hope that you will consider re, uh, re imagining this part of the program and have more guarantees and, 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 and assurances for taxi drivers that this will work out for them. We are the ones who provide the money to the dispatch companies. Without us, the taxi business would not exist. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is, can you hear me? We yes. can hear you. Okay, good afternoon, directors. My name is Sue Vaughn and I serve on the MTACAC. I support the resolution we passed on July 7th, urging you to remove the third party TNC dispatch from the taxi upfront fare pilot program. That measure forces the SFMTA to relinquish power to set fares for all cabs booked using the Uber app. However, according to the charter, which is superior to the San Francisco Transportation Code, it is the role of the SFMTA to set fares for cabs. Also, it is Uber's goal to have their app on all taxis globally by 2025. Fares will no longer be publicly regulated and Uber's cut of fares will be a proprietary secret. 
the power to control fares um, globally and to potentially price gouge. It is on top of their rogue business practices. Almost all of its profits are based on law breaking as well as exacerbating our global climate emergency and exploiting its drivers. Remember, 59% of San Franciscans who voted in November 2022 election voted against Uber and Lyft and DoorDash's Prop 22 to convert driver employees with benefits into gig contract workers without benefits or the ability to set their own fares or create their own client lists. Uber breaks all rules of the road to make money and has recently settled with the disability community and is now being sued by 550 women who claim sexual assault by Uber drivers. 30 seconds. You, you are turning over the cab industry to this corporate bad actor. It's like fist bumping MBS. You've got to take this back. You've got to rescind it, remove the third party TNC dispatch. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. That appears to be the last person in the queue. So with that, we will close public comment. Mr. Karina, I'd love to ask you a few questions about the pilot. Um, Legal Affairs Manager uh, on behalf of Kate Torn, Director of Taxis. Great. So maybe you can explain a couple things. One is the issue of the fares. So are we able to have the base fare be set on our own fares in this pilot if we work with the TNCs? Uh, currently, so the, the actual legislation allowed um, the pilot, uh, I should say the original pilot was based upon the taxi meter. Uh, the amendment in uh, April uh, allowed uh, fares not set on a taxi meter and, and that's uh, what the proposal is. And tell me why that change was made when, when, you, when you're thinking in the legislation just back when you proposed, I was not here for that hearing, but I do remember that. It right. Um, so the, the assumption is that um, some trips will be higher than the taxi meter and some trips will, will admittedly be slightly below. Um, the data that um, I was told about um, that was received through the TA um, based on PUC data uh, showed that uh, TNC trips uh, on average were a, about 85% of the taxi meter. And I'd also like to add that this is, this is a pilot, so um, uh, staff's uh, thought at this point of, of rather setting bases or, or caps on, on, on fees or, or on meters, or I should say fares, not meters. Um, we just don't know, none of these trips have happened yet, and, and this is a one-year pilot, um, and the, one of the main purposes is to test uh, the, the, this new uh, source of trips. So the other question I have is that will the this consumer now, I on Flywheel, I can see on Flywheel, I get a, a, a price up front. Um, does the driver will in this pilot also be able to see, because I know in, typically in Uber and Lyft, the, op, the drivers can see up front what the range is that they might get paid on that fare before they choose to pick the fare. Will our op drivers have the same option? Uh, at this point, we're asking the applicants to provide us with that data. Um, there are, there are uh, equity considerations. Um, for example, we don't want the shorter range trips, for example, from uh, Castro uh, Safeway, uh, a short distance away, uh, to be um, ignored um, if it's a, it's a lower fare versus if I could see the, the $50 fare. So there, there is a consideration um, about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's complicated because I, in some ways, I you know, I understand exactly the the purpose and the reason that we're even here today is because taxis were that way in the first place. That's why Uber and Lyft became a thing. So, like, I mean, <laughs> that is real. Um, but I, I think it would be. I think it would allay a lot of fears because if, since it's a pilot and people could, if we saw that everybody only chose the $50 trips, then, you know, it would show that the, the you know, that's functionality. So maybe if, if there's a way that we could actually allow them to see the upfront fares. I will say the thing that's really complicated on the flywheel fails right now, I got quoted a fare once of like $19 and then I ended up spending $40 for that trip. Whereas with Uber and Lyft, whatever they quote you, you pay. So, I mean, I think that, I don't know if it's going to work. How will that work? in our pilot? Well, a couple of things. The, the rules can be subject to change as we go, as we learn more. And also, we will be back before this board, uh, not a year from now, but less than a year from now, uh, with the data and the information that we have learned through this pilot with hopefully a, a uh, fully baked um, proposal to you uh, to further amend uh, 1120, section 1124, which is, allows this pilot. Well, maybe is it possible to do an A-B testing sort of thing where you do half the trips with people seeing up front with the fair, what they're, what they're likely to get and half, I mean, this is what they do in tech, right? People do AP testing. You, you have a control group that these people see the fares up front, this group they don't see the fares up front and see what the behavior is because I think we'll know more then. If we don't actually compare the two to each other, then we don't really know. Um, I think the same thing if we could figure out what the, what the rates um, that would be helpful as well. Why is it that these drivers would have to go through another background check if we've already done that? And our background check process seems to be more, I think, arduous because we fingerprint people where I know that, that I don't believe the TNCs do that. So why are they asking that? Uh, I'm, I'm not privy to that. That, I believe, is coming from Uber. Um, as, as far as the MTA is concerned, the drivers are permitted, uh, they're vetted, they're fingerprint background checked, they're drug tested every year. Uh, they're permitted to drive um, a San Francisco taxi. I, I believe that is to uh, voluntarily par participate uh, in the pilot. I would ask that we have that removed. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that the TNCs have fought at the state level against any sort of further regulatory authority around their own background checks that they would require that of our operators when we've already done them. So I think that if we can renegotiate that, I think that's ridiculous, and I think we need to fix it. So maybe you can, in, in terms of the other two items, is it too late to try the A-B testing that I suggested on these two other items with the upfront fares and the third-party rates? Uh, the rules are not finalized. They have not been sent to the Director of Transportation yet. Um, I can take that suggestion back um, um, to him. Directors, are there any other questions for Mr. Crane while we have him up here? Director Hemminger? Yes, Madam Chair. I, I first of all wanted to associate myself with the line of questioning that you're putting forward, and I think those are good questions to raise. And I think one reason to have a pilot project is to answer the questions. Um, and it seems that in San Francisco, we're often so afraid of the answers that we don't even want to ask the question. Um, and I usually find myself in agreement with uh, the recommendations of our Citizen Advisory Committee. In this case, I'm afraid I don't. Um, and their recommendation strikes me as letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, and I think we are all uh, looking for ways to improve the competitive position of the taxi industry. And I think this pilot could be one way to do that. Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful that we can proceed with it. 
uh, and learn what we learn from it uh, and then move ahead with something of a more permanent arrangement. But in the meantime, I think we've got to be willing to ask the questions and listen to the answers. Thank you. Thank you. Director Kahina. Yes, I too wanted to echo um, Chair Borden's um, suggestions around A-B testing. I think it's really important, as Director Heminger noted, that we test correctly, um, that we pilot correctly. And so um, let's make sure to set ourselves up for success and the drivers in the program for success as well. And so um, I also did want to express concern around um, the additional um, background checks. Um, I do think that seems excessive considering that we do a great job at that already. Um, so is that something that can get addressed at this point as well? Uh, I'm, I, I will take that back. I, I okay. can't speak to that specifically, but we will definitely um, look at that. Okay, thank you. Right, and I guess the only, I have some questions for Mr. Kim about the flywheel app and the payments. You said if you could come back up and I know that you said that the improvements, there were issues in the past with drivers being paid through the flywheel app. And I just wanted to confirm that, that those circumstances have been remedied. And then how we see that going forward in the process if with the third parties, with the TNCs engaged. Yes, so yeah, I'll reiterate that um, in the past that it was just a, a fraction of the, the amount of payouts that we had, there were chargebacks. And the chargeback basically is the rider says, I never took that ride. A lot of times the it could be the rider forgetting or the driver was doing something. So. We just made a decision to just go ahead and pay it out, just because we didn't want that hanging over what we're trying to do, because people were using that against this pilot. You know, So we paid it out, but I think you were asking like, how are we gonna pay? Yeah, so yeah. how will it work with the third party relationship if say, uh, with like the TNCs, how, how does that payment, do they pay you and you pay them? I mean, how does it all work out? Yeah, <laughs> yes, so there's actually a, a payment platform we call Lean, and they front the money. So that's why there's no delays, because okay. we still won't have the money. Then we just, then Lean gets the money from us, whether it's coming from a credit card or a third party source. So Lean is the one that pays the money up front, so they don't, there's no risk to the driver. Okay. We actually bear all the risk. And again, and we all, you also verified that there will be no penalty for drivers choosing to opt out, and it'll be visible when it oh, comes across. Oh, let me across. make that completely clear. If a driver doesn't even want to be part of it, there's some drivers here that, that says, I don't even want to, be part of this thing. They'll never even see an Uber trip. But then there are drivers that say, well, maybe I'll do it because I don't have any business. Then they could toggle on and start taking them and try it out. And so we have ways to just mitigate that. I mean, obviously, if drivers do not want to be part of this, they don't have to be. We are not forcing them. If they still want to take flywheel trips coming from people who have the flywheel app, absolutely, we want, they're still going to be able to do that. And so I guess the only question is, is everything still routed through the, a dispatch? Or is there, is there is it direct, like, app to person interaction or is there still a dispatch in which is calling Yeah, so the... what's nice, this is eHill. I call it, it's so much different than dispatch. It's a very modern way to connect to a, a, a driver. There's no longer really a dispatch center. There's no call center you have to deal with. They start, if they have a, an issue with their destination, or I mean, sorry, the pickup location because they had to move, they can communicate to the driver directly. And that's, that's such a big um, modernization to our industry. And I, I want to emphasize that the rest of the country, we're, we're a lot more advanced than a lot of the parts of the country. So this is kind of what we do here, I think, is, uh, is really modernizing that industry. It's so giving the demand through this e-hail platform by connecting is, is crucial. 
So I guess the question is, so how does the driver make the distinction of who the call's coming from? Is it evident when they get the call in that it's a flywheel call? Or, oh, 100%. When or, they, when they, when they get an offer and they choose to be on the Uber pilot, they'll know it's coming from Uber, 100%. Okay. That's great. All right, perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. Directors, any questions? All right, I think that, that if, if there are no additional, we've had public comment and there's no additional questions, I think we can move on to our next item. Thank you, Mr. Chen, for, your, for that resolution and helping start a very spirited conversation. And so we hope we can make the pilot better. Thank you. Places you on item number nine, public comment. I do have speaker cards. Wonderful. Next speaker, our first speaker in the room. So just a reminder, members of the public may address the board of directors on matters that are within the board's jurisdiction. Um, but are not on today's agenda. Um, Paula Katz. Um, I again have Izzy Aala and Nami Mulane. Nancy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, get the mic in the mic. Okay, go ahead. I just, Paula Katz again, I just wanted to clarify something earlier. After I spoke, I believe you said something along the lines of that the board doesn't respond to public comments. And I know I spoke really quickly to get everything in my time, but I wasn't asking you to respond to me. I was pointing out that under the charter, specifically, any changes in significant bus routes have to be approved by the board. And SFMTA came up with a reason why it didn't have to, why, it, why the, the change in the L bus route did not come under the board's approval requirement because it's a temporary line. It, it's in, in effect for about three years during the L Taravel construction. And I wasn't asking you to respond to me. Uh, I've, no, I've seen you frequently ask SFMTA questions and I was just requesting that you would ask SFMTA what the legal authority is for saying a temporary bus line doesn't have, change in a temporary bus line doesn't have to be approved by the board when there's no exception for that in the, SF, in the city charter. Now maybe they have a legal opinion or something else, but I would hope that you would want to know why they are taking away your responsibility and your authority and what, what their legal authority is for doing that. And so that's just what I was asking you. And sorry if I was talking so fast that, and putting so much in into two minutes that that didn't come across. But I hope that you will consider asking SFMTA, which I believe doesn't violate any of your procedures or anything. So thank you. Thank you, and I just wanted to clarify what I was saying is that in this forum, we don't respond to public comment because it has to be agendized. And so it's not that we can't ask staff that question. I mean, we will we have asked staff that question and they'll have an answer, but unless it's a formal hearing on the topic, we can't engage in that back and forth. And it has to be, because members of the public who might be interested in the El Terravel, they looked at our agenda, there was nothing referenced to the El Terravel, so therefore, if we ask people to take action today, it could be in violation because other people who would be interested, like yourself, like other neighbors. Right. So, but it doesn't mean we didn't hear you. It does mean that okay. we will we will take up that item at another time. Okay, and that's why I've asked you to put it on your agenda yes. and to discuss that. And I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I've actually already said what I had to say. Just wanted to decline. 
Thank you. Thanks. Good afternoon. My name is Nancy Mullane. I was here on July 12th to speak to the SFMTA board. Um, and I just want to say how much I appreciate your volunteer hours. I didn't realize <laughs> you were volunteers. And you're putting in so much time. And we appreciate it. Um, I know I speak for myself. And I'm here representing Friends of Slow Lake Street. Um, I just want to bring come back to the July 12th SFMTA board meeting um, when um, Director Heminger said that he wanted to clarify what was happening with Slow Lake. Um, I wanted to go back to 2020 survey that showed 70 plus percent overwhelming support uh, for Slow Lake Street by people who live on Lake Street and in the neighborhood. Um, your vote in August of last year, a unanimous vote in support of Slow Lake Street as one of four permanent slow streets. The survey of January 22, just six months ago, that showed 80% in support of Slow Lake Street, who live on Lake Street and the neighbor, neighboring individuals. Um, we also participated in, in a design for Slow Lake Street. Um, and we supported the four diverters, the concrete diverters and the slowing, traffic slowing. Um, but I did want to bring to your attention that we held a meeting, or we had a meeting, with um, SFMTA on June 29th, at which Alex Sweet, the mayor's transportation advisor, told us that they were going to remove the barriers and not replace them when they put in the stop signs, which was going to happen very soon. Jamie Parks at the same meeting for SFMTA said, if you remove the barriers and don't put in diverters, that means it's the end of a slow street. They said they were going to bring this to you, the MTA for direction. I speak for thousands of people in the neighborhood who are asking the FSF MTA and the MTA board to support and protect Slow Lake and to do it at, at the you. next. Your thank you so up. much. I we appreciate it. We will discuss it, it in, in, in September. We won't, won't have a full quorum of the board until then. So thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hansu Kim. Hello, directors. Hansu Kim with Flywheel uh, again. I just want to make some general comments about the taxi industry. Uh, I think it's important to put out there. Uh, Flywheel right now is working with about 125 taxi fleets throughout the United States. We're in over 50 states right now in terms of platforming taxis to do e-hailing, smartphone booking. I want to talk about some of the statistics in San Francisco and what I'm seeing everywhere else. And this is very important to know. At the height of the taxi industry in San Francisco, we had about 7,500 A-card holders. These are professional licensed taxi cab drivers. Today, we have less than 2,000. We went from 7,500 to less than 2,000. Most of the business that was street hails and the taxi business have moved away to the ride shares over the last few years. I do want to mention that the criticism about Uber and Lyft and the ride shares in general are well-deserved in many ways. Myself, I may have been the harshest critic of these rideshares, and in some ways still very critical. But the fact of the matter is, the industry and the public has moved to do ride-hailing, and e-hailing and smartphone booking must be part of the technology platform for the taxi industry. 
What's quite amazing is this partnership we've done here with Uber is allowing their passengers to be serviced by taxis and regulated by the taxi industry. And we'll work out those rules and regulations over time. But if we want a resurgence to the industry and we want a vital industry with lots of new A-card holders, lots of taxis on the road, medallions maybe being purchased again by drivers, we have to move forward. I want to make very clear, I am loyal to the taxi industry, believe in the regulated services, will support the SFMTA, but this is my perspective and I want to make that very clear to those that are listening and especially to you board members. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Is there anyone else in the room who has submitted a card? Seeing no. none, we'll move on to public comment online. And this is for general public comment on items that are not on today's agenda, but are things that we cover. I have four speakers in the queue. Next speaker, please. Well, good afternoon, board members. My name is Anthony Fest. I've been a San Francisco resident and Muni rider since 1989. Uh, I complain about Muni, of course, everybody does, but I'm, I'm also mindful that uh, today's Muni is so superior to the Muni of the 1990s that it's like a, an entirely different system. And one of the improvements, of course, is the next bus system. And that's my concern today because it, it seems that that system is breaking down. Uh, oftentimes when I go to a bus stop, instead of seeing one California, you know, five minutes and 12 minutes, I just see some gibberish on, on the display sign or else it says uh, registering or, or some other uh, useless uh, verbiage rather than the, the buses and their arrival times. And um, that also goes with, with the online system. When I sit at my computer, maybe I can find that the one California predictions are available, but I go to a different bus like the 24 and it'll say no predictions are available at this time. And I'm not talking about three o'clock in the morning, I'm talking about uh, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. So uh, there certainly ought to be predictions available for every line all the time. I've, I've read that there's a new system being installed, but uh, while that new system is, is being created, um, MTA needs to bring the current one in, back into good operating order. 30 seconds. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's all. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Madam Chair and Directors. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Roland O'Brien. I live in San Jose. My topic sentence this afternoon is the Pennsylvania Avenue extension of PAX for short to the Catherine Downtown extension or DTX for short and how Muni can help advancing both projects to its own long-term advantage. The primary purpose of the PAX is to bury the Caltrane tracks on the 16th and 7th, and 7th Street immediately west of the I-280 overpass. The conflicts between Caltrain and Uni electrification as the Caltrain tracks cross 16th Street are well known. But today I would like you to consider that the same Caltrain tracks are what is causing the N to terminate at 6th and King and the T turn back tracks to terminate on 16th Street east of I-280. Once these Caltrain tracks are gone, you will have an opportunity to connect the N and T tracks 
and to complete a seventh king, fourth, third, sixteenth, and back to seventh loop carrying both MNT traffic around Mission Bay instead of wasting precious in-service minutes turning trains around. Moving on to how the MTA can support these projects, I hope that you will consider leveraging your expertise funding the central subway and share best practices, including how to significantly improve PEX and, and DTX project delivery, project delivery while lowering costs by combining both projects into a single project that connects the future 7th Street slash UCSF multimodal transit center to the Transbay Terminal. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, good afternoon. Um, look, this is Barry Toronto again. A um, couple of quick housekeeping issues. Uh, as you know, they took away the left turn at 4th and King. So we cannot easily serve the ballpark anymore at, at, the, uh, at the end of baseball games or just before because access to 3rd Street has been removed um, based upon taking away that left turn. So don't count on me serving any ball games anymore because now that some of the PCOs are not letting us through on seconds in Townsend to go to go that way and at the end of ball games you wait as long as 15 minutes before you get between second and third street on on king street um so so you have basically taken away a huge chunk of our business during baseball season the next thing is there's this tree that's obscured uh that obscures the sign at, at the hilton uh, on o'farrell and i've asked many times to have it, the tree trimmed and no one's doing a damn thing about it the next thing is um, is, this, is about um, this Uber and Lyft issue. The unknowns is not fair. With the regulated fares and with the controls on how much we drivers can be charged, uh, there's, there are no unknowns there. Transparency is only fair. It's only fair. Unfortunately, we're not having transparency here. Uh, yes, Thirty seconds. Great to have, to have access to taxis, but but at the same time. The cab companies have raised their lease fees by at least 20%. So we're paying more money to the cab companies. And no matter whether we take um, a 10 fares or a 30 fares, we still have to pay the same, uh, same large amount to the cab company. And the gas prices are still high. So at least half of my gross goes to my expenses. So our income has not really gone up at this point. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Toronto. Next speaker, please. Hello, good afternoon, um, MTA Board Directors. My name is Dave Alexander. I'm also a board member of the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition. I'm calling uh, in my capacity as a parent in District 1. I've got two young kids uh, in San Francisco Unified. And I'm just urging you uh, and your board come September when you have a full quorum to really look at the long-term value of Slow Lake and the uh, Slow Streets Network here in San Francisco. Realize you also um, need to continue to work with the mayor's office. Uh, I do feel like there is a way where, where this can work out for everyone, because um, there are a lot of loud voices in the room, which happens in San Francisco, we all know that. But again, I just want to urge this board um, to really come, uh, to really have a, uh, an about face with the mayor's office and work with them to try to get um, 
infrastructure into the ground so we can move forward as a community. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, hello, board members. My name is Thurma Morrow. I'm a resident of Dog Patch in District 10. Uh, recently, Muni has changed the route of the 48 Quintara from 3rd Street to run along Tennessee, which is a residential street. This change was made without notice or public comment. And even though there are two preschools on this street, they, these buses are racing by at, in a speeding in a 15 mile an hour zone. I would like to know why this change was made and how and why the neighbors were not notified. And neither was the, the Dog Patch Neighborhood Association aware of this, nor was Supervisor Walton. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Oh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Richard Rothman, and I was surprised under the director's report that they did not mention that Supervisor Preston at next week's neighborhood uh, safety committee meeting, I think it's July 28th, that he's bringing proposal that every time there's a, uh, a fatal pedestrian uh, accident, that there be a public hearing just like the police department has public hearings when a person, when there's a fatal uh, shooting. And I think this would be very good because we still haven't got answers. There's been four fatal collisions of pedestrians being hit by cars in the Richmond and MTA has done nothing to make these interchanges uh, safer for pedestrians to walk across. I don't know what we have to do, and maybe Supervisor Preston, by if MTA will approve, you know, have neighborhood meetings every time there's a fatal accident, so we can hear from staff on what they're going to do to make our intersections safer, so people feel safe walking in the neighborhood. And you know, we while we're a transit-first city, we also have to be a pedestrian city. So they both need to be equal because a lot of times the engineers won't put in stop signs because it's on a bus route. Well, both have to be given equal weight. Pedestrians are just as important as the transit riders, and we all have to learn to share the city, and, and staff needs to learn. Uh, thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Sophia. I'm a resident on Tennessee Street. I would also like to um, bring up the issue of the 48 Quintara bus being rerouted without any notification or input from neighbors. Um, I'm not clear why this was done online. It says that it was done for operator feedback, but they never asked the residents who live and a lot of the businesses who work on this street for any feedback. Um, when they put the 55 dog patch down here, there was tons of community outreach and even options given to the neighborhood. And I'm wondering if this, uh, you can see there's another neighbor here 
for the same issue and the neighbors have created a petition and if this can be put on the agenda if that is possible at a future meeting or how that would happen thank you thank you next speaker please Hello, Sheryl Lingle. Uh, I would like to respond to something I said earlier regarding the upfront language Uber, but regarding whether drivers will see the price or destination. As I understand it, the way it's working with Yellow Cab, uh, the Uber app for drivers is simply installed on the taxi driver's uh, tablet. And when the taxi driver logs in to the Uber app, which uh, is not being forced upon the driver, but if the driver chooses to log in, the driver is just an Uber driver subject to Uber's policies. And one of those policies is that if a driver accepts 50% of the rides that are offered, then that driver will see the fare and destination upfront. This is a great incentive to drivers to accept as many Uber rides as possible and possibly at to the detriment of our other passengers and traditional passengers who will be calling in on the phone or even flagging on the street. So while there is possibility that many good things could come of this, it appears the real choice is, are these passengers going to become taxi passengers? Are they going to increase taxi? Are they going to commit to taxis? Or are the drivers going to simply become Uber drivers, subject to Uber's policies, through and through, from stairs to dismissals. And that's our concern, and there are simply no safeguards against allowing the second to happen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. No additional callers in the queue. Great. So with that, we will close public comment, and we'll move on to our consent calendar. Directors, that places you on item 10, your consent calendar. These items are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote, unless a member of the board or public wishes to consider an item separately. Moderator, can you please um, mute the last caller? I do understand that one of the items will be severed. Yes. Um, so, uh, let's see. Um, we did receive a request for a member of the public to sever and consider item 10.4 separately. Chair, would you like me to take that up after you take action on the remaining consent items? Great, that'd be great. Thank you. All right, so item 10.1, requesting the controller to allot funds and to draw warrants against such funds available or will be available in payment to the claims listed as items A through F uh, against the SFMTA. Item 10.2, approving various routine parking traffic and traffic modifications as listed under items A through I in the agenda. Item 10.3, adopting a resolution making findings pursuant to AB 361 to allow for continued remote meetings due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That concludes the consent calendar. All right, so with that, um, doctors, are there any, I think Director Hinsey, you had something that you needed to? Yes. Yes. Uh, I did just want to let everybody know for the public and for the public record. I do know um, the plaintiff in matter 10.1 item B. Um, I have no personal interest at all in this settlement, um, and I've been cleared to vote on it by our council. So I did just want to get that on the record. Thank you. 
and that's for city attorney that's sufficient great so if there are no co additional comments from members of the board on the consent calendar I will open up to public comment and that's minus 10.4 correct moderator I don't see anyone in the room moderator are there callers on the line I see no callers in the queue puts this matter before us is there a motion on the consent calendar minus 10.4 so move so second. Secretary Silva, can you please call the roll? On the motion to approve the consent calendar with item 10.4 sever, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Hemminger. Aye. Hemminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The consent calendar is approved. We'll then return to item 10.4. Authorizing the director to approve contract amendment number two to each of the following contracts to extend the contract terms by 11 months through June 30, 2023, increase the contract amounts and continue with the scope of the contracts for the San Francisco Safe Routes to School program, SFMTA 2019-40FHWA with the San Francisco Bike Coalition to increase from $846,689 to amount not to exceed $1,112,056, um, SFMTA 201941FHWA with a Tenderloin Community Benefit District to increase from $330,600 to an amount not to exceed $396,868, SFMTA 201942FHWA with a Walk San Francisco Foundation to increase from $717,811 to amount not to exceed $872,756 and SFMTA 2019-43-FHWA with the YMCA of San Francisco to increase from $728,964 to an amount not to exceed $909,310. And we do have staff available for this item. Great. Director Kina. Uh, yes, I was wondering if staff could walk us through the scope of work um, for this. I understand um, the staff report didn't include that detail, so I just wanted to understand a little bit more um, what the scope of work was for this additional amount for this period of time. Hello. Thank you. Um, I am Krista Highfield. I am the program coordinator for the San Francisco Safe Routes to School program. And the current extensions uh, use the same scope as the existing contracts. Uh, the contracts in question are authorized through task orders. The work is authorized through task orders. So the, the tasks are set uh, in the contracts themselves, and the extension would allow us to offer additional task orders to continue work through the 2022-2023 school year. So what's included in the scope uh, varies somewhat between the four contracts, uh, but in general, it is implementation of our programming. Our programming includes events. Those can sometimes be yearly events. Uh, we have big headliners like the walk and roll to school week, the bike and roll to school week, and we have individual events uh, like bike fairs or um, uh, classes. Uh, so that's actually, apologies, a different, Part of the scope is classes. Uh, we offer drop-in bicycling classes. We offer bicycle PE classes. We offer um, workshops for parents and staff on organizing group walks and group 
bicycle trips for students. Uh, other parts of the scopes include directly leading and organizing these guided walks and these guided bicycle uh, rides. These scopes also include evaluation. Uh, really, it, it's quite a broad range. It is the running of the Safe Routes to School program, activities, events, uh, and evaluation, and exactly what we need uh, is issued through task orders uh, to to request the contractors to do the work. Right. Um, it is quite a sizable amount of money, um, and so that's why I guess um, I would have appreciated a little bit more detail in the staff report that kind of denoted kind of the, the scope of work um, in further detail, right? Um, are these classes going to be in person or mostly online? Moving forward, we are transitioning back to in-person classes and events. If it would be helpful, and I don't know what's appropriate for me to volunteer versus being asked, uh, I would very much like to walk through kind of the, the timeline and the process of why we're asking for an extension right now. Okay. But only if that would be helpful to the board. That would be helpful, yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Wonderful. I, I thought it might. Uh, so the Safe Routes to School program uh, transitioned from administration by the Department of Public Health to administration by the SFMTA in 2019. And when that transition occurred, the original contract amounts and the original funding totals, along with the contracts and the contractors, were all set. Uh, it all came to the SFMTA as a package, uh, and we were asked to administer it as is. And that's what we have continued doing. Uh, we had an an addition of funding and an extension in 2021 under the, uh, the quick strike funding. Uh, that was meant to infuse funding very quickly uh, so that a program could continue, a program like ours could. And because of the quickness of these processes, we needed to do an extension uh, rather than our standard process of putting out a request for proposals uh, to attract bids and, and select uh, contractors from that bid process. We have very recently uh, received approval for an additional amount of funding. Uh, grant funding for this kind of program uh, with such uh, kind of operations elements instead of, say, constructing a single object uh, can be difficult to find. There are limited grants for it, and we're not included in the SFMTA operating budget. So these grants are our lifeline. We received approval for what to us is a wonderful and unprecedented term for our next funding of four years. And we are very much looking forward to uh, issuing an RFP, a request for proposals, to bring in bids for the next set of contracts. We are already in the process of that. Our funding approval came in in May, and we immediately started working on a request for proposals to bring in the next round of contracts. But the current contracts will expire before that process uh, can conclude and bring in new bidders. Uh, as, as the board knows, these processes take quite a long time. And in the best of times, uh, we, would, we would have a lapse. And right now, with staff shortages, uh, with everyone working on full cylinders, full speed ahead, every amount of effort possible being put into this, uh, getting the request for proposals out and new bids in 
in time to not have a very substantial lapse in programming is simply not possible. So how we've come to an extension at this point is we know we will have funding that can prevent a lapse, but we will not have contracts to prevent a lapse if we do not extend the current ones. And we've asked to extend them through the next school year so that we can provide consistent, stable, quality programming to the students for the duration of the next school year and be ready for a transition to these new contracts immediately after the next school year. Uh, we don't know what those contracts will be because we do not have the RFP out yet, but it is already in draft form. It's being looked at by our contracting teams and the city attorneys. Uh, we will have it released before the end of the year. And with this extension, we are confident we will be able to bring in new bids, select new contracts, and avoid a lapse in programming. And so, sorry, just to clarify that, um, that RFP would be for the 23-24 school year? The, it, it's for the remainder of the four years funding that we've received. Got it. Um, so currently there are contracts that exist that have a scope of work and those are being extended. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally don't feel comfortable approving such a sizable sum if I don't know what exactly we're, <laughs> what this is going towards. Um, and it could just be a matter of like just getting more clarification on that. Like, I don't know if it's an attachment, an addendum to like just see what the scope of work actually is for this. Um, it just, I, I don't know what the hard deliverables are for this amount of money. Um, and so that's just a question that I have. Um, and I, I'm sure it's it's all great, but I just, I just don't have it in front of me. Um, the other piece um, I wanted to, and I don't know if this is already part of the scope of work, and that's that's the challenge here, um, is to understand um, how you're addressing any sort of like equity goals through this work, right, and through these partners. And so understanding, um, are these partners going to work? Um, do they have staff that are monolingual that will be able to, to have in-language classes, services, um, to galvanize community members and students and parents and grandparents alike um, to support you know kids and mode shift needs or anything like that? So um, I'm just not seeing that level of detail here, so that's why it's, it's challenging for me to, to make a decision on this. So just as a point of clarification, if we don't approve this today, there will be a lapse? There will be a lapse. Right, because we can't, yes. So that's just what I want to make sure that we recognize, uh, team. I don't know if there's any way to pull or any information that maybe we could put this on at the end of the agenda and come back to it. If, if, if staff, would, if there's anything more that you would be able to pull together to satisfy Director Kahina? I, I am certain as long as I can access the internet or a, a quick call to my team that I can get you the contracts that will outline the scopes. I can get you the previous uh, annual reports. Our current annual report is in process right now, uh, but the previous annual reports that would give you insights into the extent of our multilingual programming, uh, the reach of our program to different schools. Uh, we have an equity framework that I can have sent. Uh, so I, I'm very happy to to provide all of this if it's if it's if, possible yeah if we could do that that would be great um and i just um i know director Lai had stated this in previous meetings but there is this this rhythm that um is a bit of a constant in these meetings that we do get 
um, contracts put before us at a time crunch moment. And it's really challenging um, to be able to properly vet, ask questions, and you know, get feedback if we're so against like the gun with these different decisions. So, um, just something to know um, for Jonathan and and leadership. Thank you. So why don't we at this time? We'll go ahead and um, you know, I know Mr. Ruins Ruins wanted to say something. I don't know if anybody else, and then we can take public comment. And then in this meantime, you can try to gather what we need so we can figure out if we need to do this a little further down the agenda yeah let me let me just kind of quickly clarify what what this item is and and i completely hear you director kahina about you know there's a pattern of contracts on on this one specifically we're actually trying to do the right thing we're not doing it after the fact we're not so you know as as we presented to you so this is the safe routes to school non-infrastructure program so it's all outreach communication program related this was something we took over from the Department of Public Health. You can see, like, in the item itself that this is all funded through the federal government through specific grants for these services. So I think we can quickly get what the scope of the grants are and what the programs are and report back during the meeting, which are implemented through these contracts. The increases to the contracts themselves, I know it looks like big dollars, but as an example, the first one is from 846000 to, you know, $1.1 1 .1 So that, that's an increase of, you know, just over 100000 the second one's an increase of 60,000. Um, again, the reason that we're recommending doing this is we want to do it the right way. We want to go out with an RFP. We want to, you know, scope it out. And, and of course, the board can give us some feedback on what the scope and nature of how we implement the program should be. But this is just, again, to prevent no disruption. As we're going into the school year, we didn't want to have no vendors to implement the program. So the federal funds pay for both the staff and the related contracts. So th this, this to us, I, I hear you about the nature of the scope and what the program is, but this was really just to be an administrative item, just again to bias the time to get an RFP out there and have that one year of overlap. But we can, we can follow up you know, towards the end of the meeting with the specific deliverables of the program. Yeah, thank you for following up, Jonathan. I appreciate that. And um, Krista, thank you. Thank you. So at this time, I'm open it to public comment and members of the public who want to comment on item 10.4, the Safe Routes to School contract. Now is the time to do so. Moderator, is there a call? There are callers in the line? Yes, we have three callers in the queue. Please proceed. Oh, good afternoon, uh, commissioners. My name is Richard Rothman, and I think this is a good program, but what concerns me is giving uh, the contract to Walk SF and the Bicycle Coalition. Uh, these are two organizations that lobby for uh, MTA programs like safe routes, you know, like JFK and, and the Great Highway. And so it doesn't pass the smell test. It seems like you're paying them to do lobbying. And plus the, the bicycle, uh, the Walk SF, I'm a member. They've never had any board meetings. And my understanding, if they're getting city money, they should have one or two board meetings a year. You should ask them why, why they're not having board meetings. And if this contract, the second amendment, why didn't they start planning for this uh, a year ago and start putting out RFPs? There's other organizations. There's the Senior Action Network. There's a number of groups in the, in the Richmond district that do this program. 
I, it's okay, but I don't think Walk SF and the Bicycle Coalition should be getting grant money from MTA while they're going out and lobbying for MTA, and they get preferential treatment when staff calls them, and staff won't call the citizens, but they'll call their members. This doesn't pass the smell test. I even called the Ethics Commission today because I was so concerned about it. 30 and seconds. I think we need to pull it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon, um, Chair Borden and the rest of the directors. Um, my name is Vernon Haney, and I work for Walk San Francisco and the San Francisco Safe Routes to School Program. Um, and today I'm urging you to vote to support an extension of the Safe Routes to School contract. So, um, because this, uh, this is important work at schools across the city, and um, it can't continue with, with any disruptions through the entire school year. Um, I work with many schools in the city, um, but today I just want to tell you about two, Alvarado Elementary School and Dr. Charles Drew um, Preparatory Academy. Um, both schools this year were first-time participants in the program, um, and they started something called uh, a walk-to-school day at their schools. And this, these, uh, these activities were not only fun, but it built community around the schools. It was enjoyed by the students, and it was a great way to get some healthy activity um, before, start, before students started their day. And I've heard back from both schools that these were, um, were great, great additions to their school year and that we're going to continue them next year. They're looking forward to having them. Um, and so I don't want these schools to lose momentum um, when it's so good for kids and the whole entire school community, um, plus our city and our climate as well. And um, I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon, Chair Borton and, and fellow directors. Um, fantastic. Uh, a, a, a different uh, uh, board member, different directors taking over what Sharon Light had been doing was to question the expenditures on large contracts. Bravo, bravo, bravo. I'm very pleased to see that uh, Sharon Light is still there in spirit. Um, I want to um, say that uh, Aaron Peskin, during a, a CTA meeting, brought up the same concerns as one of the other uh, commenters about the conflict of interest. And now I understand what happened. Under the public health department, uh, the program was not creating a conflict of interest, considering that, that, that um, the, the Walk SF and the Bicycle Coalition work hand in hand, and they, they beg and plead for projects that they seem to get with no problem. But we did the same thing as the Taxi Workers Alliance would run a taxi class for new, for, to orient new drivers to help out the MTA. We would, we would also be offered the same opportunity to offer a similar program, considering that these programs are similar to, to what these, uh, the charter of these organizations. It would mean that, th that because they're taking pu some public funds, that they should open their board meetings and their committee meetings up to the public without having to be a member of that organization because the public the public provides money indirectly to that organization. 30 seconds. So, yes, yeah, so, I, I, so I think this is a precarious situation and there should be more transparency. And I think going out to bid is a great idea. And thanks for explaining how this came under the purview of this agency. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please.
we might have one additional caller. Let me just, oh, that was it. We have no, no callers in the queue. So with that, we will uh, close public comment at this time. We're going to, um, we're not gonna take action at this moment and we'll wait to see if we get more information but um, on this item so that we can make a decision. Otherwise, we'll move on to the next item if you can call number 11 into the. I places you on item number 11. Approving a memorandum of understanding between the Peninsula Corridor Joint Powers Board, JPB, the City and County of San Francisco, the San Mateo County Transportation District, and Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority relating to the JPB's governance. Thank you. Um, good morning, Chair, Board, and Directors. Monique Webster, SFMTA Regional Government Affairs Manager. Um, the item we're bringing before you today is a memorandum of understanding relating to the governance of Caltrain. There are four parties to the MOU, the Peninsula Corridor Joint Powers Board, the City and County of San Francisco, the San Mateo County Transportation District, and the Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority. Each of these parties must approve the MOU, and for San Francisco, that is a two-step process requiring approval by both this board and by the Board of Supervisors. Uh, so I'll first provide an overview of the context that brings this before you today, and then briefly summarize the terms of the MOU. More details are contained in the staff report, and the MOU is also included in your packet. Deputy City Attorney David Innes, who served as San Francisco's lead counsel during the MOU negotiations, is here today to assist in responding to any questions. And of course, as you know, Director Heminger is the current chair of the Joint Powers Board and as such has been deeply involved in leading this work forward. So the Joint Powers Board, or JPB, is a joint exercise of powers authority that's governed by an agreement between San Francisco, the San Mateo County Transportation District, and VTA. The JPB operates Caltrain, which runs between San Francisco and Gilroy, which is a 77-mile corridor with 32 stations, and it is the seventh largest commuter rail uh, service in the nation. In 1991, the San Mateo County Transportation District contributed $82 million towards the purchase of the right-of-way for Caltrain. As a result of that investment, it was granted real, certain real property interests and the right to serve as the managing agency of Caltrain until it was repaid. These rights and obligations of the member agencies are contained in two documents, a joint powers agreement and a real property ownership agreement. In 2008, the member agencies and the Metropolitan Transportation Commission arrived at an agreement to repay San Mateo $53 million of its initial contribution using state gas tax spillover funds. As part of the agreement, the San Mateo County Transportation District agreed to forego certain interest payments and in exchange would serve as the managing agency of Caltrain for as long as it wished. Unfortunately, the state gas tax spillover funds did not materialize or did not fully materialize and only $33 million of the $53 million was repaid to San Mateo. Uh, leaving $20 million outstanding. So then fast forwarding to the summer of 2020, the JPB authorized the placement of a dedicated sales tax for Caltrain on the November 2020 ballot that was successfully approved by the voters. Um, and at that same time, the Joint Powers Board also took action to express its intent to modify Caltrain's governance structure to allow the JPB to appoint its own executive director to operate Caltrain with the provision that an agreement be reached to reimburse San Mateo for its original investment in Caltrain. 
After the consideration of various governance models, earlier this year, the JPB adopted a term sheet that outlined a proposed governance structure and repayment, which served as the basis of, for this MOU that is now being presented for your approval. So now turning to the terms of the MOU, the agreement would repay the remaining $20 million owed to the San Mateo County Transportation District for its initial investment in the right of way, and that once paid, that will result in the transfer of, uh, of certain real property rights to the Joint Powers Board. Of that $20 million, it's actually $19.8 million, a little bit south of $20 million, um, repayment has already been put into motion. Um, the city has already paid its share, uh, which was a uh, small share, it was $200,000, and MTC has committed to funding the balance and recently took action to make that commitment. The terms of the MOU also include a second payment to be made in 12 months of the MOU's execution that totals $15.2 million from San Francisco and VTA. To compensate, uh, so this payment's to compensate San Mateo for the delay in payment of the right-of-way debt and to assign certain rights as managing agency to the JPB. The MOU establishes a separate Caltrain executive director position who will report directly to the JPB um, also five direct reports that will serve under the executive director and defines the role of the managing agency. Lastly, MOU provides a timeline to negotiate amendments to both the real property ownership agreement and the joint powers agreement uh, to conform them to the MOU, among other changes. Any amendments to those agreements will come back through this same process and will require approval by all member agency boards, including this one. As for next steps, um, the MOU has already been approved by the San Mateo uh, County Transportation District, and that happened on June 21st. Uh, the Joint Powers Board has also approved it on June 23rd, and it is scheduled to go before the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Government Audit and Oversight Committee meeting this coming Thursday, followed by the full Board of Supervisors uh, next week on July 26th. VTA is the last stop, and it is scheduled uh, to uh, go before that board on August 4th. So once all the approvals are in place, uh, the MOU will be executed by the general managers of each agency, and that concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Director Hemminger, for all your hard work on that. I guess we don't have to worry. <laughs> Director Hemminger. Thank you uh, very much, Madam Chair, and colleagues, I do urge your I vote on this matter just to put us out of our misery. Um, uh, as you heard, I'm uh, the chair this year, and uh, this has preoccupied virtually all of my time in that role. That was true of my predecessor and her predecessor. Um, so we've been going at this for several years now. Um, and in fact, if you go back to the beginning, uh, we've been going at this for 30 years. Um, and uh, I, I would characterize this as sort of a classic quid pro quo agreement. Um, you know, Sam Trans has been resentful for decades now of not being fully reimbursed for their, I think, really good neighbor action of fronting all the money for the local match to purchase the right of way. And that right-of-way on the peninsula is easily one of the most valuable transportation assets in the Bay Area uh, because we can not only run trains on it, we can develop around it. There's a lot we can do. Um, and the fact that Samtrans was willing 
uh, to do something that San Francisco and Santa Clara were not at the time, uh, I, I think really does deserve our thanks and gratitude. And I think in addition to that, they, they would like some cold hard cash uh, to make sure that we can extinguish that debt. Um, the other side of it, the, the quo, if you will, is the fact that for several years now, I think the, the two of the three parties at least, uh, San Francisco and Santa Clara, have been unhappy with the way that we govern the train. Um, and that has to do, as, as you heard from Monique, about various concessions that were made uh, along the way. Uh, that basically left us in a position where the governance of the train, meaning the managing agency for the train, um, was Samtrans, uh, no matter whether the other two agencies liked it or not. Um, and as part of that arrangement, um, the, uh, the other two agencies really had nothing to say about who our executive director would be, which is a very odd relationship. Um, but there you have it. And I think what we heard from our partners at San Mateo is, if you want to alter that relationship, then basically you're going to have to pay for it. Um, just as uh, we, we tried to devise an equitable way of, of repaying uh, San Mateo for their right-of-way purchase, uh, the idea here was that they deserve some compensation for the fact that not only was that money not paid, uh, but they are ceding some authority because right now they make the sole decision about who the executive director is. And uh, they are also waiting and waiting. And while they're waiting, they don't have the money. They can't earn interest on it, et cetera. So long story short, I, I, I think uh, both sides of the coin here uh, get something um, and give something. Uh, and I think it's, it's taken a while to strike the right balance about how much give and how much get, but I think we are there. Um, and I pledge to you that uh, if you approve this, we will not darken your doorstep for a while at least, um, and we can go back to running a railroad, which is something actually that we're all pretty good at. Um, and I think we can be proud of the service that we're providing. Um, just two last thoughts uh, for your consideration. The first is uh, just how fortunate we were uh, in putting a measure on the ballot. Uh, this board has some experience with putting measures on the ballot, <laughs> but unlike this board, uh, the Caltrain measure actually passed by a two-thirds vote in the teeth of the pandemic, which discontinues to shock me. Um, but uh, that, that was such a stroke of luck uh, and uh, good fortune that I, I think we're going to be dining out on that for years. It's 100 million bucks a year in new revenue. And what could Muni do with that money? Um, so uh, that, that clearly, in my mind, is one. And the other is that we have a major project underway, as I think you're all familiar, to electrify that line which I think will be the second big investment. First, getting it into public ownership, and second, uh, getting rid of diesel exhaust um, and having an electrified system uh, that I think in terms of especially development potential and other kinds of things uh, is gonna be a real boon to that service. Um, and so the fact that we've, we've got both of those things underway and this governance 
matter really has been a diversion uh, from them. I, I, I think, as they say, it's sometimes better to be lucky than good, and I think we've been lucky uh, that we've been able to keep those balls in the air uh, while we figure this one out. So uh, sorry for going on at some length here, but uh, this is, I, I think, a really important matter, and it's a good way of trying to knit these three partners back together again. One reason this MOU is so lengthy is that there just has been a lack of trust among the parties, and I, we had to write a lot of it down now. Um, and so now it's written down, and I think it will put us uh, in a good position uh, to go back to business and grow in ridership on the railroad. Thank you. And thank you again for your skillful stewardship through it all. It's been a, I remember was it last summer when we had, was it last summer, two summers ago when we had that vote. <laughs> so, yes. Directors, any other questions or comments? Why don't we move to public comment? As are, as are, there, are there any members of the public that would like to speak to item number 11 on our agenda, the Caltrain governance structure? I see no callers in the queue. So, <laughs> so with that, we will close public comment, and the, the board can, you can call the, I guess we need a motion. I will move approval. I'll second. Secretary Silva, can you please call the roll? On motion to approve, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Then from staff, do we have any updates on item 10.4 at this time? I believe the materials have been sent over to the director. Um, we could continue on to the closed session, session. and then come back yeah. to open session after items 13 and 14. Right. Or come back to item 10.4 after items 13 and 14. Do you want to do that? Yes, why don't we go ahead and do okay. that. Okay. Item number 12, discussion and vote pursuant to admin code section 67.10D as to whether to invoke the attorney-client privilege and conduct a closed session conference with legal counsel. Uh, members of the public, is there any public comment on us going into our closed session? I see no callers in the queue. Because with that, we will uh, we'll take a motion from our board. Move to go into closed session. Second. Secretary Silva, please call the roll. On motion to go into closed session, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Hinzi, <laughs> aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The motion passes. The board will now go into closed session. Just take one moment. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
meeting of the SFMTA Board of Directors and Parking Authority Commission. Wait. I'm sorry. Huh? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the 19th of July. Directors, that, that, that brings us on to our next item, Secretary Silva. Item number 13, announcement of closed session. The board met in closed session to discuss solicited cases with the city attorney and voted to settle both cases. Places you on item number 14, motion to disclose or not disclose the information discussed in closed session. Motion not to disclose. Second. Please call the question. On the motion to not disclose, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, places you back to item 10.4. So great. Um, staff, if you could approach, we're going to just for members of the public following along. This is 10.4. This is our safe routes to school contracts that we had uh, basically continued to the end of the agenda. Please proceed. Uh, yes, thank you. Are there specific questions I should address? Dr. Kahina. Sure. Uh, first off, thank you for sending me all the materials requested. That was super helpful, and, and I appreciate just how quickly um, you and your team rallied to, to send that, those over to me. Um, I did have a few clarifying questions, and so um, I do see that part of the scope of work includes multicultural outreach, um, not engagement, though, and so um, there is a difference um, between those two. And so um, I specifically wanted to understand um, in terms of the multicultural engagement piece of it, um, what is the plan for that? What is the obligation to these um, different contractors to adhere to any sort of requirements we have around that, if not in this contract, right? Um, so um, specifically, will there be in language trainings, classes, um, beyond just like a translated flyer um, or a translated PowerPoint, right? Um, so, yes. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, we, we do offer print material translated uh, into Spanish, uh, Chinese, Filipino, uh, Arabic, and Vietnamese, uh, but that is the very base level. It is not the extent of our, our programming in multiple languages and our engagement in multiple cultures. And it's actually an element of the program we're very proud of and that we've been working to continuously strengthen. Uh, so again, starting with the, the base level, our translation, uh, we've been expanding the materials that were translated beyond the city required, uh, Cantonese or Chinese, uh, Filipino and Spanish, to also include the school districts, uh, Arabic and Vietnamese. When it comes to programming, we do offer classes in uh, Chinese and Spanish We've been able to go further and have live interpretation of some of our programming into Arabic, Vietnamese, and Filipino. We have held sole language, uh, so no English version uh, being offered to communities in Chinese and Spanish, and I believe Arabic, um, one of the Arabic programming uh, activities that we did, it turned out they preferred in English. So we, we had Arabic uh, interpretation available, but English was, it turned out the preferred language. Uh, so we've been increasing that. It, it does cover our, our classes and our uh, safety chats when we talk to schools and families and classrooms about personal safety. Uh, and we have our, our programming for our events 
our walk and roll day, our bike and roll uh, day, those we put the activities into all of these languages as well, so it's not, uh, not limited to English. The way we staff those is through these contracts, we do have a multilingual staff. We have currently uh, a native Spanish speaker and a native Chinese speaker. Uh, we have an Arabic speaker who uh, we do not use for live interpretation. It's a very you know niche skill, but who does help us with engagement uh, with the Arabic speaking communities. We have additional language capacity through drawing on the Department of the Environment, Environment Now outreach team. They maintain a multilingual staff and we call on them when our own contracted staff cannot provide a language support. We also lean on SFUSD's language services when needed uh, because we have an active MOU. Well, apologies. We used to think it was an MOU and that has lodged in my mind. We have a contract with SFUSD uh, and through that we have been able to show the value of our programming so that they will take on some of the interpretation and translation if we do not have enough in-house uh, capacity to provide a language a service in a, in a live event. Right. So uh, we, we've drawn a lot of different sources because this is such a critical need, yeah. need for um, the program. Uh, and so based on what you describe, it seems mm -hmm. that the onus to provide this level of in language engagement is on us in some ways, right? Like it's uh, the staff. The staffing you describe is our staffing at the at the agency, and so um, I wonder. Um, we are contracting with folks to to be kind of like that first line of engagement with families. Um, do they have the staffing to do this? Um, and if not, um, is there a potential? Do, do the contracts allow for them to subcontract? with other nonprofits that may be better situated to have that first line of engagement for folks. Apologies um, for, for lack of clarity. Uh, we actually, we have multilingual staff through the contracts. Got it, okay. uh, We also supplement uh, and are always willing to draw on any resource available to expand our in-language offerings in different languages. But we do have staff through these contracts uh, for the Spanish, for the Chinese and for the Arabic language. Uh, we also have had them subcontract specifically for instructors so that our programming, our classes can be offered in other languages. So they do have that ability in the contracts and we have called on it. Okay. Um, and the reason why this is so pressing for me, um, mm -hmm. and I should probably um, articulate this, um, we have seen, or I have seen, reports of incidences for um, English language learners um, that have faced harassment um, while taking transit and things of that nature, right? And so it's really important to make sure that, especially through programs like these, that we're providing resources to support those English language learners as they navigate like these systems that we have here and their families and their parents. Um, that's why that's so important to me. Um, and so um, as you are evaluating these programs um, and how they're addressing these issues, um, I do wonder, um, is this part of your metrics of evaluation to see what the outreach and engagement, engagement in particular, has been for Eng English language learners and their families? It's not a required metric for us uh, in the current contracts that were handed to us uh, from DPH, but it is something that we have made the, the decision uh, that it is, it is so important to us and to our program that we track that 
ourselves uh, outside of any obligation. So we, we do track which events and how many attendees we have in various languages. Uh, you'll see an overview of the previous year's uh, offerings in the evaluation uh, report. And we are preparing the next evaluation report to cover the school year that has just concluded. So we, it's something that we track. It's something that we are pushing for continual improvement and advancement on uh, to, to make sure that all populations in the city are able to not just access, but, but be directly reached out to by our program. Right, and, um, and so um, I will say that um, when this comes back, um, when you do your report back, that will be a metric that I will be looking out for. Um, so I, I do hope that um, it is something that you and the partners involved are taking seriously and are evaluating and are making strides uh, to improve upon that. Thank you, Krista. Thank you very much. Any other additional um, comments by directors? We took public comment earlier, so we won't take additional public comment. All right, is there a motion? I'll move to approve the item. I can second it. Secretary Silva, can you please call the roll? On the motion to approve, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The motion passes and concludes the business before you today. Great.